You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining our show today. We have a terrific episode with my friend, Father Tom Daly. I don't know about you, but I am so happy to see the sunshine, hear the birds chirp, and just enjoy the warm weather because, boy, it was a rough winter. My wife and I have been enjoying some lovely evening walks around our neighborhood, getting some exercise, spending some time together. It has just been so nice. It was a great weekend for graduations. Many of our friends were posting pictures of their children who are graduating from college, and I know they're not children anymore. Some of them I've known since they were in grade school. It's so amazing to see all of them just uh, blossoming and, and becoming the young adults that they were meant to be and fulfilling God's plan in their life. And so if you have a graduate in your life, congratulations. I'm sure that the ceremony might not have been what you had hoped for, what your son or daughter was expecting four years ago, but it by no means diminishes the amazing accomplishment that these young people have achieved, especially during these difficult times, the fact that they stayed with it, that they committed through, stayed dedicated to getting through their education and and achieving their dreams. And so we will continue to keep them in our thoughts and our prayers, and we know that God has a special plan to use their gifts to advance the mission of our church. And speaking of gifts, of course, this past weekend we celebrated the Feast of Pentecost, which is every Stewardship and Development Director's Feast Day, right? Pentecost commemorates not only the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the Apostles, but also the fruits and the effects of that event and the fullness of grace for the Church. It's a reminder to all of us of the all-important responsibility to be good stewards of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When we receive those sacraments of initiation into the church, but then we refuse to surrender ourselves to the Spirit, we've kind of missed the point, haven't we? Let's all go back to our confirmation. Let's remember the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we received and remember that God's will is served when we are faithful stewards of His greatest gift, the Holy Spirit. As we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, let's recommit ourselves to being open to the Holy Spirit just as the apostles and the saints have been throughout the centuries. And so, now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Father Tom Daly. Father Daly, welcome to the podcast. It's great to finally have you on Advancing Our Church. How are you today? I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, just for those of you who uh, haven't had the opportunity to meet Father Daly, I'm going to read just a very brief intro, and then uh, we have lots to to discuss about the work you do as the chair and the work that you do at uh, St. Charles Seminary. So, Father Tom Daly is a priest in the religious congregation of the Oblates of St. Francis de Sales. He holds the John Cardinal Foley Chair of Homiletics and Social Communications at St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia and is a current member of the Academy of Catholic Theology. In the realm of Salation Studies, he has authored Live Today Well in 2015 and Praying with Francis de Sales in 1997. And in January of this year, he published Behold This Heart about St. Francis de Sales and Devotion to the Sacred Heart. He's contributed chapters to several academic books, written dozens of articles in pastoral journals, and published numerous commentaries for news agencies and websites. He's a member of the Catholic Speakers Organization, and he frequently offers conferences and retreats based on Salation spirituality. Father Tom, welcome. 
Thanks. So as the chair of the John Cardinal Foley, tell us a little bit about, and maybe we should start with who was John Cardinal Foley, uh, just to give some background to our listeners. And then I want to talk about your role as the chair, because it's so relevant, obviously, to what the church is experiencing today and what has really, I think we're seeing so much of a revival in, um, in media and in social communications. But tell us about John Cardinal Foley. Well, he's, uh, he's certainly the person to talk about in that realm. Um, yes. In terms of the church and that realm, I should say. Cardinal Foley was a priest of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. He was ordained a priest for the Archdiocese. He's from Philadelphia, the Archdiocese. Where he uh, entered into this realm was his work for what was then the Catholic Standard and Times, which was the printed newspaper of the Archdiocese. Yeah. He was uh, a longtime contributor and a longtime editor, um, 22 years or thereabouts. While he was a student in Rome, he was contributing articles to the newspaper about the Second Vatican Council. So he was sort of in on the, on the ground floor of, of the contemporary church. In 1984, Pope John Paul II uh, called him to Rome to become the president of what was then the Pontifical Council for Social Communications. This has subsequently been subsumed into the new Office of Communications at the Vatican. But in Cardinal Foley's day, the Pontifical Council was the, let's call it the think tank for communications in the church. It wasn't the press office per se, but it spread the church's message of communications around the world and assisted dioceses with doing that. Under his uh, leadership there, there were, there were documents published about advertising, uh, ethics on the internet, uh, the internet and the church. So it, w- it was the thinking side, if you will, of communications in the church. But also had a very practical dimension. Cardinal Foley became famously known and probably is still best known as the voice of Christmas. And the reason for that is he convinced the Knights of Columbus in their their charity to pay for the broadcast of the papal midnight mass for Christmas around the English-speaking world. And Cardinal Foley himself was the translator for it. So with a melodic, perfectly suited media voice, uh, he became known as the voice of Christmas. He was a trained journalist. He had a master's degree in journalism from Columbia. And so he had a unique uh, combination of knowing the the news world and and the world of journalism and knowing philosophy and theology, which he taught here at the seminary. And so he contributed greatly to the church's position in the world of media. I mean, he was a respected media person and a respected church person. And so he he married the two into this position. When he left that position after 22 years, I believe, 22, 23 years, he was named by Pope Benedict a cardinal. He was given the leadership role of the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, uh, which he held for about four years. He died in 2011. He was back here in Philadelphia at the time, and he's currently buried in the the cathedral of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. This position was named very aptly for him when he died and was established to to hand on his legacy, but also in recognition of his insightfulness that social communications and the media would play an ever greater role in the work of the church. And so that's what we're trying to do. Well, what a tremendous role model and maybe Mm -hmm. one day patron saint for social communications. (laughs) Just tremendous, tremendous legacy that he left. Did you ever have a chance to meet the Cardinal? I did. I knew Cardinal Foley. Uh, When I was studying in Rome, I I was with him on on numerous occasions. 
always gracious, very much uh, a son of Philadelphia, would mm-hmm. always take care of, the, of, of any of the Americans, mm-hmm. um, but, but always the Philadelphians studying there, uh, all, all of them relate uh, his, his kindness and generosity to them. Beautiful. And I know that you took uh, the position full-time uh, in 2017 in July, mm-hmm. and, and, and the role of that is to bring this important component to priestly formation and at St. Charles Seminary. So tell us a little bit about the program. Sure. As far as we know, it's the only program like it in a seminary in the world. Yeah. And it is intended really to make the seminarians aware of the critically important role that communications plays. Now, being of a younger generation, they're, they're fully aware of, of social media and, and, and the tools and the sure. tricks of trade, if you will, but how that plays into the work of the church and how that will play into their work as future pastors is really the, the primary role of the position. Uh, mm-hmm. Secondarily, the position is also intended to assist parishes and folks who are already pastors and, and the archdiocese, and in, in general, to, to raise the profile of the work of social communication, social media, and, and all of the communications that are involved in the evangelizing work of the church. Tied to that, of course, is homiletics. The first role of the priest is to, is to proclaim the, the gospel mm-hmm. uh, in, in many ways, but um, certainly preaching is the uh, a central medium for church communication. So we've linked the two together mm-hmm. and uh, are trying to form the seminarians in the evangelizing side of social media. That's, a, that's so important. In my own diaconate formation, we've just begun to learn the science and the hows and the whys of homiletics. And so weaving that together in with the communications and the social media piece just just makes so much sense. What does a typical class look like for the seminarians? What kind of topics are you covering when you when you gather them on this topic? One of the things I did when I came is introduced a course that is now required of all the students, uh, a course in social communications in the church. One of the things we introduced this year was that the seminarians basically have to conduct a project in parish communications where they take existing social media of a parish, mm-hmm. analyze it, make suggestions, look at it from the eyes of, on the one hand, somebody outside the parish, yep. but also from the eyes of a younger generation, which mm-hmm. is really what this medium is going to attract. Sure. And they provide assistance to the parish in terms of ideas and suggestions, and hopefully one day also uh, actual technical work for them. Uh, that's one of the new things that we're working on. In a sense, raise the bar, yeah. um, raise awareness of the, of the power of social communications, which I think every pastor now realizes having gone through the pandemic. Right. Uh, one of the pastors here in Philadelphia speaks about how he had more people viewing, participating in, ma- in one mass that he live streams than he does attending the other five masses combined. Incredible. Um, so it opened his eyes as to the power of this medium. As, as I say, we're, we're trying to integrate that now in the formation of the seminarians yeah. so that their eyes are already opened when they when they get out into the parishes. I love the exercise you described because I can only imagine there are hundreds and hundreds of parishes around the country who could use your students as consultants. <laughs> I mean, to, to analyze what is out there on the website, analyze what is in, in social media and make some recommendations and, right. and actually and we're put happy together to help. a plan. We're happy to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tremendous. Uh, that really does raise the bar uh, in, in a new way. And 
And so, you know, you've already touched on this a little bit, but, you know, let's, let's talk about that. So, you know, in the last year plus, from my perspective, I've just seen an enormous, enormous growth, obviously, in social media, in the church's online presence, obviously in online streaming masses, it's become now commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um, what it's, it's really, we've, we've blown the lid off this uh, in a way that would have probably, I'm guessing, taken us another decade or so before we've gotten to right. this level of, of participation from our parishes. How has that impacted your work? And it must obviously impact the conversations you have with these seminarians in class. It most certainly does. It impacted my work by giving me more of it. <laughs> <laughs> in the sense that, yes, we, you know, we do get asked about assisting parishes. And what we're going to start working on now as a, as a future project is actually training staff in parishes in parish social communications. Mm-hmm. Um, because everyone realizes now that the, the power of it, the reach of it, it's never going to replace live in-person events. But if I can use this medium to, to reach people, to connect people, as, as we did in a pandemic when, when you weren't allowed to, to gather together in person, it's a way to create a sense of community. It's a way to give people the tools to learn more about the faith. It's a way to celebrate parish life. I mean, there are all kinds of possibilities. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can uh, or should or ever will rely on it totally. This is the way the world works now. And so I think it's absolutely essential that the church be involved in this world, be, be integrated into this world, but also bring to it the unique, positive sense of who we are by way of this media. In, in ways that can be so personal and enriching mm-hmm. and uh, and connect with people like the pastor you mentioned earlier, who might not otherwise be attending Mass or may have been disconnected from the faith for a while, but found their way onto this parish's website and are now, you know, hooked, you know? Exactly. My- now, the, 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 it's got all kinds of implications. So, for instance, the traditional notion of a parish that was geographically based just gone by the wayside now. The phenomenon of social media overcoming space limits. You can be part of a faith community that is nowhere near you. Yeah. You can't be physically, which is which is the 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 limitation. But you know, the more people we can connect to, the better. Mm -hmm. Um, particularly though, this is a a way to reach out to those who are not likely to or haven't set foot in a parish church in a long time. To get connected is the first step. And this allows us to do so. The goal, of course, is to, is to actually gather people in person sure. because we know that human beings create and form and sustain communities when they're actually physically together. Mm-hmm. But one of the great, if I may, one, one of the great debates nowadays or, or one of the big questions that this all raises is the very notion of what presence means. Yes. You know, th- this is the kind of discussion we often have around here. What does it mean to be to be present to one another. I mean, you and I are, I would argue, very much present to one another right now right. Um, the way of this medium, mm-hmm. even though we're not in the same room, even though we're not in the same city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we could be in different countries. Right. And, and there is a very real presence to this conversation that we're having. Mm-hmm. And I think that recognizing that it, it is a critical factor for pastors, for seminarians, for whomever, mm-hmm. that we are really interacting and encountering one another. Mm-hmm. Is it the best way? Of course not. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ideally, you and I would be sitting in the same room together. 
Sure, um, sure. And, 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 you know, there, there are all kinds of other factors involved in, in, in communications. Um, but but the, the technology enables us to be present to one another right. when otherwise we could not, uh, yeah. which, which is a tremendous blessing. The caveat, of course, is always that, that an actual embodied presence is better. But I think my, the bottom line to all this, we, we have to get away from, I think, differentiating, quote unquote, real communication or real encounter mm-hmm. and virtual. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're not different. Uh, they're, it, 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 the medium is different. Uh, the, the space may be different, but the encounter and the people encountering each other are very real. Once we sort of dismiss that dichotomy, the potential for social communications in the church will, will, will just grow exponentially. And, you know, Father, it, it, some of it comes down to a generational gap, right? You know, folks in our generation were the digital immigrants, right. where my kids are in their late teens, early 20s. They're the digital natives. They grew up right. with this technology. And so for them, oh, absolutely. They make connections with their friends all the time using that platform. But for us, it might, it certainly feels a little different, maybe at first a little unnatural. Then over time, like you say, we're making a connection now. We can make connections with other people in a real personal way. Right. We, we've had screens in between us for a long time now, uh, every generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amazing advances in technology that make it almost like there is not a screen in between us, I, I think are making it easier for we who are who are digital immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, the digital natives have a different challenge, and that is to understand that this is not the only way to communicate right. or, or, or even the best way to communicate. The standard joke is that, that young people would, would much rather text on a phone yep. than actually use the phone to speak to someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same in, 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 in this kind of uh, video format. So while they're f- more familiar with it and more used to it, there's also the challenge of, of getting them to realize that communications is more than just sharing of information. And, and I experienced that myself. You know, when you work with younger people, sometimes they would prefer to send you a note or send you a text mm-hmm. in a few short words rather than pick up the phone and call. And, you know, so it's some of that comes with training, you know, and mentoring right. and helping them understand appropriate communication versus, you know, or rather what is the most appropriate communication, all communication being appropriate, just, you know, what is the right context for it? Sure, sure. You know? And all of which is meant to lead to friendship in, yeah. in a good sense, a relationship. Mm-hmm. So how do we, you know, how, how do we cultivate that with the best of social communications, but also beyond social communications? Yeah, absolutely. Swinging to the other side of the pendulum, Father, I watched Dr. Brett Robinson from Notre Dame University on your eighth annual John Cardinal Foley lecture series on social communication. He was excellent. And then you had a a great conversation that ensued afterwards. One of the things that he said that kind of swings to the other side of the pendulum on the conversation, he said, more than our need for tweets, video, and content delivery on social media, there is an urgent need for the church, which is founded on the incarnation to come to grips with the pressures that are experienced when much of our time is discarnate and in Mm -hmm. a disembodied state as we are right now. So we are embodied creatures who need our senses to encounter God. Um, you know, what, what are some of the dangers of going a little bit? And maybe that's where some of our pastors or even some of our lay people or people from our generation feel that little pullback. Like, what are some of the dangers of going too far down the road? 
Well, yeah, Brett explained it quite eloquently. Uh, he's doing great work at Notre Dame. Yeah. He's just initiated what they call a church communications ecology program. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at these sort of bigger questions, the, the ecological yeah. state that we're, that we're in right now. And this actually provoked a tremendous discussion in his program, this question of disembodied communication. <laughs> I think what's at stake is that with a generation such as the younger generation, the digital natives, right. growing up on communication that is mediated, the risk is losing the immediate presence of people with one another. And to, to translate that to the church's use of, of social communications, it's the idea that watching mass online, as one example, uh, suffices, that, that that's enough to participate and, and, and that's enough to worship. Whereas, of course, our Christian heritage is the incarnation of Jesus, is, is God becoming a, an embodied person, a real embodied person living in the midst of us, you know, as, as I often say, walking, talking, laughing, crying the whole bit. And that that reality is the fullness of God revealing himself. So the flip side is that reality of an embodied presence, an embodied worship, mm -hmm. an embodied faith is really the fullness that, that, that we're seeking. Mm -hmm. And that's the limitation to a social media or a mediated communications. If communications is just getting across information, sharing, you know, even by way of video and images and pictures, and if it's just about that, then it's not about the fullness of our faith, which mm -hmm. is a relationship. Right. Um, and, and, and to be in relation to one another, the fullest way to do that is in person. So I think that that's what he's getting at, that, that we can't subscribe to the theory that all of church communication is done by way of social media, that worship could be replaced by a social media version or a live stream, um, even if it's live, even if it's got all the bells and whistles, it's mm -hmm. still mediated. And Pope Francis does the same in terms of his messages for World Communications Day, which is an annual celebration uh, that came from the Second Vatican Council. Pope John Paul II, of course, had lots of messages, uh, Pope Benedict even, and, and they all spoke about the, the power of technology to communicate the faith and to bring people together. Pope Francis, if you look at all his messages, is sort of flipping the script a little bit to look at what is communications mm -hmm. um, and, and, and what's the goal of it and what, 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 what are we really striving for? And so his, his, his most recent message is, is talking about communicating with people where and as they are. Mm -hmm. So in, in a sense, he talks about the pandemic. He talks about the importance of journalists actually going and being with the people that they're talking about. You don't have to. I mean, you, you could sit at your computer and com compose the story and, and, and insert images and video. And, and, right. and, and that works to some extent, but the ultimate goal is it's about real people. And, mm -hmm. and so I have to be with those real people and, and, and so much more gets communicated that way.
Mm-hmm. I think that that's the sort of practical side to what Dr. Robinson was talking about in terms yep. of the debate between disembodied and embodied communication. Sure, sure. And, you know, we're, we're seeing, we're beginning to see dioceses open up, you know, for mass again, full time mm-hmm. and lifting some of the dispensation, you know, my home diocese and the Diocese of Allentown this year celebrating 60 years uh, anniversary, right. and right. with a theme of a return to the real presence. And for those who are listening, we actually, we just scheduled Bishop Schlert to be on our program in a couple of weeks. So that's excellent, that's exciting. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, his his thoughts on returning to the real presence. But there's a little bit of a, a mixed bag, I guess, because, or a, I don't want to say mixed bag, a double-edged sword in that you have folks, who are, you have more folks attending Mass online, and you don't want to discourage that. But mm-hmm. then there's that returning to the real presence of Christ, the real presence of the Eucharist, and the need for us to be together as a community. And how, how do you see that? Yes, they're, they're the two sides to the, to the sword, <laughs> if you will. I think that... There's a couple things in play here. Mm. You know, one is that the, the freedom and power of the Holy Spirit, you know, who can't be limited by by uh, fiber optics or, or by anything uh, to, right. to unite us. <laughs> you know, we're, we're united in the Spirit. True. And, and that can be experienced uh, online as well. But the presence not only of God with us sacramentally, the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, but also the presence of the body of Christ that right. is us together is something that they can't be replaced. I think those who have experienced the reality, the tangibility of the sacraments know that. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's why people, uh, you know, so painfully experience the loss of worship when yeah. we couldn't go to church. And that's what's drawing people back to church. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we do have to pay attention to the idea of a potential complacency that folks have gotten used to not being physically together. And I think Bishop Schlert's emphasis on that real presence, not only of Jesus, but of each other yeah. with Jesus. I think that's, that's a great emphasis mm-hmm. to celebrate the anniversary of the diocese. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately is what even the use of social communications is guiding us toward or should yeah. be guiding us toward. Yeah, absolutely. Switching topics just for a moment, going back to, to pastors who have done such an amazing job. And, you know, you know, my pastor included and so many pastors that, you know, my company works with around the country just stepped up to the plate to figure out how to do a Facebook Live and figure out how to make mass work with a phone. And then and now many of them are moving to real cameras and making this a more permanent yeah fixture in their parishes. So Dr. Robinson also gave a great example on how Mr. Rogers, I I loved his Mr. (laughs) Rogers analogy. Here you have, you have television, which is a one-way medium and is Mm -hmm. so commercial. And, you know, usually it's very consumer driven, but you had someone back in the seventies and I'm going back to my childhood. I grew up with Mr. Rogers who connected with young people in a personal way and made that big medium small, right? He made that huge medium feel personal to kids, myself included, telling them that they're special, telling them that they have value in the world. And so I, I, I love that part of your conversation. And we'll put a link to 
uh, Dr. Robinson's talk uh, in our show notes in case our listeners want to listen to it because it was really excellent. But just some great tips for pastors on thinking, how do I make this personal? How do Mm -hmm. I make something really large, small? How do I make something really large, personal? And I think they have an opportunity, unlike a diocese that is a large organization, they already have those built-in communities to create those personal messages. What are are your thoughts? Exactly. Dr. Brett Robinson's reference to Mr. Rogers was was, uh, was probably the, the, the highlight, not only of his talk, but of the program that he's running. Uh, yeah. Two of our seminarians are part of his first cohort doing this nationally. They said that that has gotten the greatest response because it captures precisely the goal and, and, and the outcome of all social communications. And that is that it's about real people communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. So the first assumption that Mr. Rogers made and that pastors should make in dealing with mediated communication is that the person at the other end is a real person. Right. And it's someone I know, especially pastors in a parish, they know the people in their parish. So when I'm communicating, even if I'm, you know, filming a video and there's no one else there, I'm still speaking with you. Even if I can't see you, I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. If I can approach it that way, that what I'm doing is not making a video. What I'm doing is communicating with Jim Friend, right. who will watch this video at some point. That's what Mr. Rogers did. Mm-hmm. He spoke to you. Now, there are sort of medium strategies to do that, looking into the camera and, and you know speaking as if you're speaking to one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I brought, uh, I brought into my homiletics class um, the media producer for Father Mike Schmitz. Uh, uh, why Father Mike Schmitz so popular? Because he does just that. He creates videos where he's talking directly to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not, he's not the only one. There are certainly many others who do that. But this, this video producer for, for Father Mike was explaining how the seminarians can, can do that if they're preaching or if they're creating videos or, or if they're streaming mass. You know, there are, there are little techniques, but the, the fundamental position is I'm speaking to my parishioners mm-hmm. and, and I know you and I'm going to speak to you as if we were in the same room together. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do when there's nobody there. I, I know I, I know myself from, from, from doing that. I know from, yep. from preaching and everybody in the, in the church has masks on. Sure. It's a challenge, yeah. um, but it can be done. And, and I think it has to be done because again, the, that's the ultimate goal of of using this this social communications is to communicate with people, even if it's a one way you know video production or or a homily or or whatever. I think that was that was the key to Mister Rogers. That's going to be the key to pastors, um, just to be who they are. They don't have to be a media star. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's you know get the young people who know the technology. They'll they'll figure out how to make you look good mm-hmm. and and you know all the lighting and sound and all that kind of stuff. Right. You, you just be the pastor and, and talk to, to talk to your people. And that's all people are looking for. That connection, which, as you say, is kind of already there in a parish. Yeah. Well, that's what I that's what I build off of. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you brought up Father Mike Schmitz. You know, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I just there's Father Mike Schmitz and then there's Bishop Robert Barron. And not not that the two men should be compared, compared or contrasted, but you have two very different styles, but mm-hmm. both both who have a, a beautiful way of connecting with people on a national level and making it feel very personal. During the pandemic, we listened to our own pastor, but we also listened to Father Mike and, and got into listening to Mass online with him on a weekly basis. And even though we're returning to Mass in person, 
I still go back and listen to Father Mike each week on his podcast because I'm just interested to hear what comments he has to say on the Gospels that week. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's the beauty of what this has done for us. You know, we, we have our pastors and we have our shepherds who are our personal pastors here in our local communities, but we also have the opportunity to, to educate ourselves and be inspired by the words and thoughts by, of other pastors and other priests around the country who are delivering homilies as well, but have a different perspective and a different way of delivering and and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially, no. you know, as I look at having, you know, young adults, now I have, we have, now have young adult children, you know, we're looking for ways to connect with them. And, and sometimes a different approach or a different personality can, can capture their imagination. Right. Uh, Father Mike, when, when he gave the, the, the Foley lecture a few years ago to a, a packed house, I might add, as did the Baron <laughs> to a packed house, yeah. um, he, he made it very simple. Uh, and he said, you know, evangelizing is telling the story. Uh, it's telling a story that, first of all, we believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you want to share that goodness with people. Everything else is extra. Everything else is, is, is a mechanism to help you share the story. Mm-hmm. But at, the, at, at, at its root, I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Now, Father Mike is a storyteller. He knows how to do that. He's a natural at it, although he has studied it and, and, and works hard at it as well. And you know, that, that, that's a gift that he has. Mm-hmm. It may be the case that not every pastor out there has that gift. Uh, he has other gifts and talents. Great. One of the beauties of, of social communications is that it's an opportunity to engage people of the parish who have those skills, whether on the technical side, sort of behind the camera or in front of the camera. Let the young people tell the story to other young people. It doesn't have to be the pastor creating every video there is. Let the school children do it. Uh, let them sing once in a while in, in a video, whatever. The key is the telling of the story, uh, not necessarily who's telling it. But I see the great growth in social communications as an opportunity to engage more and more people in the parish, especially young people who know this stuff. This is a chance to engage more and more in the telling of the story. And, you know, as someone who's preparing, I hope one day, God willing, to be a deacon and I'll have the opportunity to preach, I know that I, I will not be, I can't be a, a Father Mike Schmitz and I can't be a Bishop Robert Barron. I can just be a gym friend and I can be the best version of that that I can be. And, and so that's all tell- people want. That's all people would want you to be. Right. Um, as I tell these guys, don't, you know, don't try to, yes, you all have your favorite preachers. Fabulous. <laughs> Learn from them. Don't try to imitate them because you can't. Right. Um, you know, and, and people want you to be you. That's what they're going to learn best from mm-hmm. seeing the reality uh, in the person standing in front of them preaching or mm-hmm. on camera talking to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And uh, any other advice on this for pastors that are, you know, are, are looking at, because I think we're coming to a, po- a place where, you know, this is now, as you said at the beginning of this discussion, this is now a permanent part of our of our church culture, and uh, I don't think it's going anywhere. And you know, there are pastors who are looking now at installing permanent cameras and how we're going to deliver this on a, on a regular, ongoing basis. Any thoughts as pastors think about the future, and and you know, what should they be thinking about in their planning if they have the means to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, investing in quality. Uh, whether it's microphones, cameras, sound systems, lighting, that certainly helps. If we're going to communicate by way of social media, social technology, we want to do the best that we can. 
know, again, in, in some cases that costs money, in some cases that, that, that sure. involves time and talent. My advice is that first and foremost, we don't look at communicating by way of technology as an add-on, as a, one of the many things that somebody on the parish staff has to do. It's comprehensive. It's an all-encompassing thing. Communications is what we do. We communicate the gospel. Mm-hmm. The importance of communicating well by way of modern technology can't be left as just one task on, on, on a person's plate who has 28 other things to do. Dedicate to doing it is my advice, whether that's staff, you know, persons, time, money, if, if you have the money to do it. It's that important precisely because it reaches that many people. Again, there are most likely young college students in your parish who not only know how to do this, but would love to do it for you. Engage them, give them your blessing and let them go because they know this stuff much better than I do uh, or, or, or the older generation of the priest does. And again, it's, it, it's a way to get them engaged. Uh, th- this, this is one of the, the, the reasons why I introduced this this project in my course, because these are all 20-year-olds. Yeah, You look at a, a, a company like Word on Fire, you mentioned Bishop Barron, another Catholic media company up in Canada, Salt and Light that I know, all of their employees are under 40 years of age. Mm-hmm. because and, and that's on purpose, because that's the generation that knows how to do this. Right. Contribution of the pastor is, is the what, mm-hmm. um, but the how-to, let the younger generation do it. They know what they're doing, take their advice, let them run with it, and they will attract others. So yes, bottom line, I'm communicating with my people. I have a message to share. Let the technology help me. Absolutely. So what's on the horizon for the Cardinal Foley chair? What's what's coming down the pike for you? Well, let's see. The end of this month, May 27th, we have our annual symposium celebrating World Communications Day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Each year we give an award uh, named for Cardinal Foley to a professional journalist um, for for his work. Prior to that, we have a little panel discussion about the Pope's message for World Communications Day. Mm. This year, we're giving the award to John Quinones from ABC News, famous now for his show where he poses situations to people. Oh, yes, I've seen it. What would you do? And he puts them in a situation. Yeah, 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 it's very good. In a sense, that's what the Pope's talking about in his message, Mm -hmm. uh, getting in touch with people where they are and as they are. Yeah, And so with John, we're going to talk about that message, and then we're going to present the award to him for, for his uh, lifetime of work. So that's at the end of this month, May 27th. Unfortunately, we have to do it online this year, but mm-hmm. we'll get back uh, all in person next year, mm-hmm. hopefully. We have one of the new things that we're going to try to do is, is expand this, this parish social communications project to not just my course, but maybe some uh, summer training for seminarians. Um, maybe a training program as well for parish staff. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a, a a new project I'm giving myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then uh, then the new school year will begin and we'll start over again. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, it always goes faster than we realize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See if you can slide in a class of deacons or deacon candidates. We'd, we'd love to. Uh, oh, love don't to worry. Play. I'll be visiting your class at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, Father, earlier this year, as I mentioned uh, before, you published your new book, uh, Behold mm-hmm. This Heart, about St. Francis de Sales and uh, the devotion to the Sacred Heart. What inspired you to write the book? Well, 
that was actually pretty easy this past year. So not this May, May of last year mm-hmm. was the 100th anniversary of the canonization of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, oh. who is the one who championed the modern devotion to the Sacred Heart, going along with the jubilee of, of her canonization and the celebration of that in the religious order of the visitation of Holy Mary. She mm-hmm. was a nun in that order. I work with them here in Philadelphia. And I thought uh, this would be a good chance to to write a book about it. You know, it, it's not just a devotional book, but a book that tries to appreciate the devotion in the larger context of that visitation spirituality, which is the life and legacy of St. Francis de Sales. Which, you know, we've all heard of St. Francis, but, you know, many of us haven't taken the time to really do a deep dive on him. And, and you do that in the book beautifully. And there's a little excerpt of it where you share that it says, Pope John uh, XXIII considered devotion to the Sacred Heart as one of the three devotions <clears throat> in which genuine Christian life is built, while Pope St. Paul VI commended devotion to the heart of Jesus above all as the most effective means of promoting the reform of life and the defeat of atheism. Um, Can you share more about the nature of the devotion to the Sacred Heart? Because while we see the images, many Catholics maybe aren't as familiar with that devotion as they could be. Those images that we see anywhere and everywhere and in all kinds of, uh, whether it's statues or churches or or little plastic things that we used to have in our cars, um, that image is central to the devotion. Uh, and it, it actually ties in with this, with our talk about communications. That image of a very real human bleeding heart, Jesus's mm-hmm. heart pierced on the cross to express or communicate the depth of God's love to us. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful message. Um, it it's a message communicated by images of the heart. And the, the devotion began with Jesus actually revealing his heart to St. Margaret Mary and calling for a devotion. Uh, we now have a, a, a universal feast day of the sacred heart. That's what, that's what Jesus asked for that recognizes that profoundly deep love that God has for human beings. Behold this heart, Jesus said to St. Margaret Mary. It loves human beings so much. And, and we don't always realize that, I don't think. Understandably, we, we, we just don't get it. The devotion is a reminder of that. It's practiced in, in all kinds of ways, uh, prayers, litanies, First Friday celebrations. That's where, the, that's where that came from. It's part of the Sacred Heart devotion, whether it's celebrating at Mass, whether it's, it's praying prayers that are associated with the devotion, that how, how we celebrate it is not as critically important as what we're celebrating. Mm -hmm. And what I try to do in the book is explain how the imagery of the sacred heart, the, the imagining of it. And by that, I don't mean making it up, but, but but the picturing of it Mm -hmm. is critical to the devotion. It's seeing that image and realizing the reality of that image that has such a profound effect on me as a believer. That's the goal of the devotion, to have that profound effect, mm-hmm. whether that's done in meditating on the gospel stories, which the book includes, seeing the, 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 the paintings or sculptures or anything in church. The image is the medium that communicates the divine love. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell, that's what the Sacred Heart devotion is. Beautiful. You know, both as a, as a son and as a father, in my studies, 
I'm, I'm often taken aback by the fact that if we could only feel the love that God has for us in a, in a more real way, how often do we block ourselves from that? Or how often do we remove ourselves from those images or not experience the fullness of that love? And when we do, how, how much better we feel, how much stronger we feel, how more connected we feel. But, but just by spending some time on those images that you described so beautifully of the sacred heart of Jesus and time in prayer, that we can reconnect with that in our own faith. Absolutely. And again, it's a truth of communications mm-hmm. that images have that power. Um, yeah. You know, we see that in, in the modern realm. You know, why, why is something like a Netflix so popular? Mm-hmm. Because it's images. This, of course, I think is a much more important image, the sacred heart, because it makes real, it makes concrete, it makes visible the truth that we believe. I mean, we believe that God loves us. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I mean, how, how do I see that? How do I know it? That's, that's why the commandment is, is, is twins, love of God and love of neighbor. You know, so oftentimes our, our faith, unfortunately, gets reduced to the things that we believe. That, it, that it's a notional thing, uh, when in reality, it's a person that we believe in, uh, a, a very real person who, who really had a heart like the one that's in my chest. Um, <laughs> and, and I forget that. And so I have to, to be reminded of that is, is critically important. Um, even Francis de Sales, in his great book, The Introduction to the Devout Life, who talks about essentially that's what prayer is, realizing that, that God really is present. I often used to used to to do this little exercise in class with when I taught in high school and even in college, uh, asking students if they believe in God. And of course, they all did. Do you believe God is present? Yes. What would you do if God were sitting right next to you now? Well, they never thought of it that way. Right. But to say that God is present with us, that's what it means. It's as if he were sitting right here beside us. And if we remember that, we would probably act very differently, as, as my <laughs> students used to say. That's what the, the Sacred Heart devotion is, is, in a sense, meant to communicate the reality of this thing we call love that, that can't be surpassed, that God's love for us can't be surpassed. And that's, that's the sign of it, that, that sacred heart. Mm-hmm. Well, Father, I can't think of a better way to end our conversation. For our listeners, we'll leave links to where to purchase Father's book and links to the Cardinal Foley chair and, and the other lectures and, and talks you have on, on video and available to Thanks, everybody. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I've just really enjoyed our time together, Father. We, we've known each other for a few years now, quite a few years probably. And uh, this mm-hmm. was this was a great conversation and I really enjoyed having you and got to know Glad you. we had the chance. So thank you. You're quite and, welcome. Uh, have, a, uh, have a great day. And again, thanks for being on Advancing Our Church. Keep up the good work, please. We need it. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. God bless. I want to thank Father Daly for being on our show today and for sharing his special ministry of social communications with us. If you'd like more information about Father Tom, his work in social communications, or St. Charles Borromeo Seminary, I will leave links in our show notes. And once again, to view the full video presentation of this podcast of our conversation, please visit the show's episode page on advancingourchurch.com. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for another great show. 
And if you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for over 21 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everyone. It was another great episode. Next week, we have my own bishop, Bishop Alfred Schlert of the Diocese of Allentown. I'm very excited about this interview. Until then, take care. Have a wonderful week. God bless.